Oh, welcome back, everybody. We have a little rural party here today with some friends who are off in the boonies of Red Deer. <laughs> uh, this is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. I use she, they. And would our two friends like to introduce themselves? Yeah, I'll go first. Hi, my name is B. My pronouns are they, them. I'm with the Red Deer Native Friendship Society, and I am so excited to be here on Queer Halftime. Yeah, and I am Shannon. I use they, them, she, her pronouns. Uh, as long as you call me, don't call me late for dinner. I'm happy with whatever pronouns, though. So uh, <laughs> feel free to call me whatever. <laughs> there we go. And what do you two want people to know about y'all before we dive in? Hmm. So what I want people to know about me is that I am one of the coolest people alive in central Alberta. I think. <laughs> I like the Central Alberta caveat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, let's just be clear about where we are, okay? That's the standard. Um, <laughs> no, what I want people to know about me is I work with the Red Deer Native Friendship Society. Um, it's really important to us to bring culture and indigeneity and community to the people in our area. Um, my job is gender-based violence prevention. And so I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to you about uh, indigeneity and queer identity and open up some beautiful dialogue today. Love it. I think you covered that really well, B. Um, I guess what I want people to know about me is that I am also with Red Deer Native Friendship Center. I am our two-spirit program keeper. Um, we are kind of launching our program um, as we speak, sort of deal. Um, so we host two-spirit circles every Thursday and Pride interagency meetings on the first Tuesday of every month. Um, so that's just an opportunity for all of our local organizations to come together and collaborate and see how we can better support each other and our communities. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here and super happy to have the space to actually talk about, you know, queer things and Indigenous things and where they intersect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you two, um, I asked, you know, what kind of thing do you want to talk about? And you two had a great idea. So do you want to kind of lead us in? Well, why not? How could we say no? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Shannon and I thought it would be super fun to talk about tolerance versus acceptance and how mm -hmm. that interacts with the Indigenous and uh, queer communities and how that relates to like stigma and guilt and empowerment. Uh, so just a very light topic for today. Very easy. <laughs> yeah, no, super chill. Um, <laughs> super fun little topic. <laughs> yeah, not so stressful at all. Um, but yeah, do you have anything to say about that, Shannon? Yeah, so we kind of have these little philosophical discussions every morning in our office. And we always joke like, oh, I'm so sad for all the people who don't get to hear our brilliantness. And now they do get to hear it. So welcome to our team. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. All those people who are always like, oh, we should have a podcast. We should have a TV show. Well, like now you're on mine. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. exactly. A, a great opportunity for us to monologue. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's all good. It just makes the editing easier for me, less back and forth. Um, <laughs> but no, like this is definitely a conversation we've also had because like people are like, oh, I'm so tolerant. And I'm like, it's the bare barest of minimums my friend yes. oh like my it just like think about like things you tolerate right like it's stuff that like you don't actually like or that you don't agree with but you're like I don't have the power to change this or I don't have the energy or like I just have to accept it but it's like begrudging right like mm -hmm. tolerance is not a positive like thing it's like no. I guess it's fine as long as I don't have to see it <laughs> Yes, well, and that's a really good point, because when I was thinking about this topic, um, what did come to mind is, have you ever like had those conversations with people and they're like, I love the gays, but I just don't want to see it. You know, I don't need to see a gay kiss on every TV show once every hundred episodes. It's too much for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think like, 
it's really interesting to have the discussion about tolerance versus acceptance because you're absolutely right. Uh, tolerance is the very bare minimum. The bar is like on the floor. And some people <laughs> still find ways to just like tunnel under. <laughs> yeah. Like the literal definition of tolerance is the capacity to endure continued subjugation to something without an adverse reaction. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that you can tolerate me without an adverse reaction. Like, oof. Enduring <laughs> subjugation. Like that is such a loaded definition. Like that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> the subjugation of the queer, like the straights by the queers. <laughs> well, and seriously, like, wanting to be pressed so badly <laughs> by other people just existing, you know? And that's why I think it's so important to show representations of queer joy, trans joy, indigenous mm-hmm. joy. Um, because how revolutionary, in my opinion, in the face of this, we say tolerance, but we know it's like, a, as we've been talking about, very loaded, um, to how revolutionary it is to be happy and express yourself, you know? Um, not so much as uh, you know, screw you, I'm I am being awesome and happy in myself, um, but more like people who came before me, the activists, the elders, the ancestors who came before us, didn't have the same opportunities to express joy safely <laughs> or at all. And so to me, it is so vital and so revolutionary to give yourself the compassion and to allow yourself to have the space to accept yourself and to look in the face of, you know, this mm, sort of hollow tolerance and say, you know, in spite of that, in the face of that, I love myself and I am deserving of acceptance and love and compassion. Like that is so powerful. And it's so great to have the opportunity to talk to, you know, other people who understand where that power is coming from and, you know, why it matters so much. It's, again, another form of power, you know, to have these conversations with these kinds of people, you know? Yeah, like, that's such a good (laughs) point. Like, when we were talking about this, I was thinking about acceptance, like, externally. Uh, But yeah, like, the internal acceptance is so important as well. And, like, y'all have joked about, like, the media and, like, you know, a gay kiss every hundred episodes. But, like, we get so many of these writers and producers that are like, oh, it's such a diverse story. It's so like, they're trying to be edgy. And so it's like, oh yeah, it's this gay man has AIDS representation. Like, but, and like we've talked about on here before, like everybody wants to fund sorrow. No one wants to fund joy. Right. So yeah, I just think that's a really excellent point. Well, and to your point there, like, the difference between representation and tokenism. Yeah. Yeah, or even, like, exploitation, right? It's, they're like, yeah. I'm going to win an Oscar for my super edgy story that I, a straight man, wrote about this, like, poor, suffering trans person who, like, I wrote so terribly. And so, like, in such an unfactual tokenized, like, this isn't how trans people behave kind of way. Yeah. Did you talk to a trans person before you wrote that or did you just write it? <laughs> well, it's like like watching TV and there'll be like, I notice this a lot, like even young and there'll be like some comment about like a woman and like her behavior or something. I'm like, this was written by a man. Like I remember so specifically, there was this like, I used to watch all of the CSI franchises, all of them all the time. Um, and there was this one, there was like this dead person was wearing like a matching like her, like her bra and her panties weren't matching so like clearly she wasn't like you know she was like not putting any effort or like there was it was some weird comment about like how her like day was planned or something and it's like what do you what <laughs> have you ever had a partner like <laughs> like have you ever on, gone beyond like first date where someone was like planning to sleep with you I'm like, because even then, you're probably not going to get matchy matchy. <laughs> Listen, it was all about comfort. <laughs> when have we ever found anything that was matchy matchy and comfortable? I'm like, if it is an actual bra and not a sports bra, consider yourself lucky, sir. <laughs> consider it a miracle. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but yeah, but like people trying to write about shit they have no idea about like and then calling it representation is just always incredible to me 
I agree. I agree. And actually, Shannon and I were talking about this yesterday um, about portraying these communities, these people. Um, like, for example, uh, the number of queer trans, indigenous mm. even, like Johnny Depp, for example, playing Tonto in the Lone Rider or whatever. Movie. But he's like 167th Cherokee on his <laughs> great uncle twice removed side b oh isn't everybody <laughs> oh like cherokee princess and joe like that's a whole other thing that's a whole other podcast topic oh, oh yeah here's our next podcast it's called <laughs> all my relations but it's like none of us are actually related <laughs> there we go <laughs> <laughs> well but seriously and so i think it's so interesting like about the idea of tolerance and inclusivity um oh yes i a cisgender person wrote a story about a trans person, like Eddie Redmayne playing um, a trans woman mm. in The Dutch Girl, The Danish Girl. Um, the Danish Girl, we've actually, and oh, I can't, Lily Elba, I don't think I'm saying it, that's her name, but we've actually talked about her before, um, very briefly when we talked about Magnus Hirschfeld and his institute. Oh, amazing. And the first ever surgeries, affirming surgeries. Which, like, trans can people. we have a side note there, like, how long trans and like queer healthcare has existed and like that whole history is bananagrams. Yeah, I mean, that was in the interwar years that he was building that. Like all those photos you see of like Nazis burning books, that was his research on trans people. And isn't that so devastating? And I think that speaks volumes to the way that we interact with trans people and LGBTQ and indigenous people like today you know, these historical events strongly impact our biases, our subconscious beliefs about these groups of people. And, you know, talking about tolerance, I think it's really interesting, like, you know, we're aware that queer history exists, indigenous history exists. Um, and then like not educating on it, you know, like okay. we touch on World War II, we touch on these great big historic things that happened, but not like, how it impacted certain groups of people and how that continues to impact those groups today. Um, I just think that's very interesting, you know, like, yeah, I think it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like, and even just everyday people, like you say touch on World War II, but like we had a whole unit mm -hmm. on World War II and like even the first World War, but like it didn't talk about how that affected everyday people. Like it didn't talk about any of that stuff, right? It was just like, it was so sanitized and it was, it was a St. Albert Catholic school. So like, obviously it was very like, we can't make the white kids upset. Um, except for my one grade seven science teacher who was like, no, 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 I'm going to tell you about what I saw when I went to this camp. Um, it was it, scarring, but like in an important way, you know, <laughs> but yeah, like we have this concept. It's like, well, I'm sure they have history. You know, they've been around for however long, but it's like just kind of a vague concept, right? It's like, oh yeah, of course indigenous people have history. Anyway, like <laughs> back to whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think of like the residential school system as well. You know, we have over 12,000 children have been found, okay? Let's just sit in that number for a moment. 12,000, over 12,000 people have been found, 12,000 children, okay? And I hear people in, in my life, in my community, um, oh, well, why can't you just move on? You know, just forget about it. it. It's over, it happened, it was so long ago. Like, babes, the last residential school closed less than 30 years ago. Yeah, it was the year my brother was born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you tolerate the fact that we have our orange footprints and you tolerate the fact that we talk about these things, but you can't accept that this strongly impacts our communities, is still impacting our people, that <laughs> there are people alive younger people alive who were in residential school you know a lot of people don't even tolerate that conversation they're like mm -hmm. just stop like it's over mm -hmm. like it wasn't yeah. that bad says my grandmother um she's yeah she's a very funny duck um she's one of those people that's like has legitimate like 
wonderful friendships with indigenous people, but also it's like, it's like, well, my friends are fine, but these other what, you know, his ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Very. I just found out something actually about, so she's from Pincher Creek and <laughs> my mom and I were talking about the D.A.R.E. program and how terrible it is and how it taught kids about all the things they can huff, right? So she was talking about when she went to like visit, because it's, this is her former mother-in-law um, mm-hmm. and she went to like a drugstore to buy cough syrup and there was a sign that said that that drugstore does not sell cough syrup to quote-unquote Indians mm-hmm. like that was just a policy that they had didn't matter the age they could be grown-ass adults we're not getting cough syrup there like this shit still Oof. you know and that was 20 years ago like mm-hmm. there are ongoing impacts it doesn't matter if the schools are closed mm-hmm. shit's still happening absolutely yeah well, and talking about like burning the books and how that was all trans research and a lot of that stuff, like that's also reminiscent of our residential school system where two spirits weren't allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of how many genders were recognized at the time, it became very binary because you were either on the boy's side or the girl's side. And if you were to talk about it, you were beaten. And so all of that research was lost. All of that knowledge was lost because the simple act of talking about it was what would get kids beaten or worse. And mm-hmm. even like you talk about residential schools now and you talk about tolerance, um, you know, like there's a lot of discourse around, oh, well, they're just old cemeteries or, oh, they're just, you know, unmarked, whatever. And it's not a big deal. And then you kind of point out like, hey, listen, if our kid's school had a cemetery, would that not be a problem? Right. Like what is with the just? And people just can't wrap their head around it. <laughs> yeah 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 it's like oh it's just a school with a graveyard like excuse me (laughs) how many schools do we have that have graveyards yeah please point them out oh my god yeah it's it's baffling no it is it's mind-blowing but then again that's why it's so important to have these discussions about acceptance versus tolerance you know and also stigmatization like you talked about how um your grandmother and not selling cough syrup to indigenous people and immediately oh the drunk indian stereotype well that's yeah that's what it was right like absolutely and so like the role that stigmatization plays in the way that people stop at tolerance and then refuse to push past it to acceptance um that like speaks volumes to me anyways because even still we see uh unhoused people or people who you know are struggling with addiction and there's still that stereotype of oh they're they're indians they're indigenous you know they can't they that's just what their reality is and it's like no addiction is often you know um a coping strategy for trauma (laughs) and why do you think that our indigenous people are so traumatized like let's take it a couple of steps back use our critical thinking skills and look at the context (laughs) you know and through that through accepting the reality of all of this trauma the residential school and how that's impacting our people today I think that could help push people to a place of like genuine acceptance of accepting people for how they are and taking steps towards healing and um, actual inclusion, you know? Um, Yeah, the way stigma plays into tolerance and a lack of acceptance is profound to me. Yeah, well, and like, let's think about like who inflicted that trauma? Like all us white folks, let's look in the mirror and think about what those traumatizers looked like because they looked like this, right? And I think there's, so much well I don't think there is I know there is because I've experienced this there's so much hesitance to acknowledge these things because it means acknowledging your own complicity right like we have to acknowledge like I have had to acknowledge like when I was a kid I made racist jokes sometimes to try to fit in with my other you know cohort right like and it was a thing that I never thought about And then you had to have this really uncomfortable little self-reflection moment as you grow and think, 
right? That wasn't okay. I'm being complicit in this system. Like, here's what needs to change. Like, and it's, it's a deeply uncomfortable acknowledgement of your own, the harm like that you have caused. Right. And like, so that's, I think where tolerance kind of stops, right. Is people are like, oh, I'm tolerant. Like I put up with it. Right. Like I won't say this slur in front of people, but it halts at that acceptance because accepting it means accepting their own role. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I strongly agree. So then I'll pose the question to you both. What role does accountability play in acceptance and moving forward into a genuinely accepting and more equitable society? Asking all the fun questions. I got to ask you hard questions like in our last meeting. Now it's being turned on me. I don't like it. Uh, (laughs) No, it's only fair. Um, Do you feel called out, but also seen? (laughs) Both. Yes. Somehow both. It's fun. It's validating. (laughs) But no, I think like an accountability, I think it's kind of our responsibility again, like as, you know, a white cis person talking about the indigenous community and the queer community is like, we have to hold each other accountable right? Like there are certain people like who are making certain jokes that aren't going to listen to a member of that group if they say, hey, that's harmful, right? They're going to, they're not going to give a shit, right? Or they might pretend to, but they don't actually care, right? It's when someone who is part of their in-group, who is like them, calls them out or in, you know, depending on what's going on, right? It's like that accountability has to be kind of lateral. I agree. No, yes, I strongly agree. (laughs) Well, and to that point, I think, like, yes, it's uncomfortable to admit that even, even like looking at, you know, as you said, as a kid, you would make racist jokes or like, I know the thing in my school was saying like gayer than AIDS and like, is it offensive? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if we look at where does that come from? Well, it comes from the stigmatization of AIDS as being exclusively gay which we also know isn't true. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of look at that like social acceptance of, okay, well, how do we understand things and what's the narrative that we're being given? Because you can't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a large part in a lot of acceptance and a lot of tolerance is you can't know what you don't know and you can't ask the questions that you don't know to ask. So unless someone is willing to have that conversation or willing to educate you, it's not necessarily your fault because like I said you can't know what you don't know at the same time it's not our job as queer people or as indigenous people to educate everyone and so if we're not going to do it then does that sort of tolerance or intolerance live on and is that part of the problem and so you get this very like cyclical conversation where we're saying you know it's not our job to educate you but at the same time it is our job to educate you because if we don't it perpetuates that lateral violence and so it becomes like a very almost like vicious cycle because those conversations aren't always safe to have and you kind of gotta you know like choose the hill you want to die on sort of thing um and I'm the type of person who's gonna die on every hill but (laughs) you know like that can only go so far yeah um and so when you get into that like conversation surrounding tolerance and acceptance um like I just think of my grandma like my grandma still to this day says well that's queerer than a two dollar bill and I'm like grandma I don't think you can say that out loud but the way that she says it is very cute and it's not like she means any harm by it it's literally just how she talked as a young Mm -hmm. person um and you know that wasn't a problem then yeah and the funny part is there were two dollar bills and that it's not really that yeah isn't it a three dollar bill like the actual because I know I've said it as a joke right (laughs) but and like on that thing about it's not their fault like I will give people grace up to a certain age basically and then that patience kind of runs out a little bit because it's like you're a grown adult you engage with the world like you have a certain amount of a certain amount of this is on you right but also like when you're looking at yourself and your younger self like it's so easy to be embarrassed by shit we've said and done but like giving yourself that grace of like you know I was very young and I have changed and I learned right and not just kind of shoving that away and you know shitting on that person (laughs) like yeah yeah 
it's a fine line well yeah oh definitely and I think we also got to look at the evolution of language like kids today uh, they have a whole different language like if you had asked me in so my kids for example are 10 and 11 and if you had asked me at that age about emotional intelligence I would have looked at you like you were an alien with six heads and said what um you ask them about emotional intelligence and they're like well let me tell you what I'm feeling and what color zone I'm in and, you know, like where I'm sitting right now. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're talking about mental health. This is a thing. Um, so I think you get like, to some extent, you get that inherent sort of evolution of language as our kids are growing up and going through school. And some of that intolerance is kind of a pushback from parents who didn't have that language or who are kind of like, and I think B, you kind of spoke to this yesterday too about, um, the pushback from the parents where you're like, oh, now you're indoctrinating my children with the gay agenda or like, I don't know, the the socialist and the whatever it is. Yeah. Like the climate. Goddamn propaganda. commie, pinko, okay. queers. Yeah. And... <laughs> that snowflake liberal education. I know. Yes. I... <laughs> well, and so much of that, like <clears throat> when I do trainings, I'm very careful to not say that something is racist or that something is transphobic or like, or like, like that someone is these things. Like I'll say like, that's, you know, a transphobic statement or like this person is acting in this way. Because I think part of that pushback from parents is that, like we said, that not wanting to accept that they have done these shitty things. Cause they're like, even like more liberal people who engage in like racist behaviors or like racism is bad so racists are bad. So I'm not a racist because I'm a good person. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that's a chunk of that pushback. Yeah. Oh, well, seriously. Well, and giving yourself the opportunity to, to really look inward and challenge your own biases. Uh, you know, it's not an easy process of self-reflection and not monitoring your thoughts, but rather being aware, you know, you, I am not my thoughts. I think therefore mm -hmm. I am, you know, um, so to monitor your thoughts and be aware of, oh, hey, that thing that I just thought was biased. Oh, hey, this thing that I just said to myself is a trauma response from when, from my childhood, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, it's a really hard process to do that self-reflection. And so I think that a lot of this, you know, lack of acceptance and this discussion of tolerance and this pushback from the parents as well in this aspect um, I think is very strongly related to, like you're saying, Shannon, like a lack of emotional intelligence, a lack of that language and that accessibility. Um, because if you don't have the ability, it's it's a skill. If you don't have the ability, don't know to look online, how to teach yourself, or don't have the desire to teach yourself how to do that self-reflection, how could you possibly truly take accountability for your words and thoughts and actions if you don't even feel like you need to challenge them or reflect on them or look at them seriously from a different perspective. Mm. Um, and so to that point, kind of like how we were talking about um, if you're in the in group, it's important to talk, uh, call people out. And so to that point, what role does privilege then play in uh, self-reflection and acceptance and accountability that's the word I wanted <laughs> and you know taking accountability for the shitty things that you say and do you know like where does privilege play into that yeah that's a great point and I mean on the other side of that is how do how do we challenge that language when it's happening how do we effectively call someone out for it without it coming from a place of hurt where you're just calling them racist or homophobic um mm -hmm. You know, like as a person, someone who identifies as a person of color and gender diverse and queer, it's not always going to be this loving call out where you're saying, hey, you understand that what you just said is problematic, right? Sometimes it's, well, that was fairly homophobic. Um, and, you know, like the idea that people are defined by singular things like once you've been called racist you can never not be a racist like it's just mm -hmm. such a fallacy because you're not defined by one thing you're not defined by one action and if you were there would be a whole lot of other societal issues um so I think like the the realization and the accountability of saying hey someone called me this 
why did that happen? And the ability to self-reflect on it once you get past that place of being hurt by it, or once you get past that place of feeling like you are solely defined by that thing, like, oh, I got called racist, therefore I must be racist. The the conversation with oneself or with those people who have called them out then need to be, what can I do different to not do this again? Or like, how can I do better in the future? Because again, you can't know what you don't know. So mm-hmm. we need to find a way to effectively open up that dialogue and really dig into, okay, where did this come from? And how do we change that language? Because it's, like I said, not always our job to educate people, but how do we call them out in an effective way? That's not just mm-hmm. us being an asshole and saying like, you're being homophobic or being <laughs> racist because that's not always effective. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that gets into like calling in and calling out, right? Like calling someone in to have a conversation versus calling them out, like drawing a hard boundary about what is not okay. Mm -hmm. And like, I think sort of the ability to differentiate, which is going to be effective in the moment is kind of in itself a privilege, right? Because like, it's easier if you are not part of the group that that person is, you know, referencing, right? Then you kind of will probably have a little bit more patience to be like, okay, let's have a conversation about this. Whereas there's other times where someone has said something and then I'm just like, okay, I'm leaving. Like, which can be a yep. lesson in itself, right? Is like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, when you call somebody out that it's like a hard boundary of like, we are not fucking going there. Yep. Right. But yeah, like the calling in and teaching moments and yeah. Well, and more often than not, at least in my life, I find mm-hmm. like once you've reached that hard boundary, it's not the one thing that has got you to that hard boundary. It's an accumulation of little microaggressions that you kind of let slide because it's things like pointing out facts like, oh, you live in central Alberta and you're queer. That might be a problem for you. And they're just stating the obvious. But for you, it's that call out to like, oh yeah, I live in central Alberta and I'm queer. That might be a problem for me. Um, (laughs) So it's like, is that part of the problem where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to let these little things slide because they're in their mind, they're pointing out the obvious. And in your mind, you're like, that's part of the problem. Um, So it's kind of like this accumulation of little thing, little thing, little thing, little Mm -hmm. thing. And then you finally reach that last one where you're like, okay, enough. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Like someone does something like especially egregious and you're like, Mm -hmm. I'm done. Yep. I'm out. I'm done. (laughs) Like, yeah. Well, and like you're saying too about, you know, it's a lot easier if you're not a part of the group that is being, you know, receiving those comments or, you know, being discriminated against. Um, it's a lot easier to say, hey, don't be mean to trans people because I know trans people and they're great, you know. Um, so then at, at that point, like what role does allyship then play in our steps towards an accepting society? And, you know, promoting acceptance in the hearts of people, hearts and minds of the people, you know, um, because it, it, it is, t- <laughs> as you guys are aware, it is challenging to hold these identities, you know, um, and so I think, speculatively, I think a lot of the time, um, people are nervous to become allies, uh, partially because they haven't taken the steps to address their own feelings of shame and guilt and how they have played a hand in contributing to these unjust cycles and systems. Um, and so like, how can we, because you're right, like it's not our job to educate people that because our, our whole life, like that's our whole life, we're living it. And do I really need to like educate you on my life and like my reality, you know? So it's it's not our job, but it is also our job because if we're not doing it, then who's gonna do it? And so allyship, <laughs> like where does that come in? And where do you get allies? And how do you encourage people to be allies? And is that about calling people out or having calling people in, having those compassionate conversations? Um, kind of like um, Shannon and I have been talking a lot about the difference between sharing information and sharing a teaching in an indigenous aspect. And so when we're talking about allyship, how can we help share the information so that they can bring that information forward so that when it t- comes time for the general population to actually meet an Indigenous person, to actually meet a queer person, to meet a trans person, um, for that person to share the teachings and they already have a foundation of information. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I like that you're, I mean, usually when we have guests, I'm the one asking questions and I'm really enjoying that I, you're doing my job for me, B. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm really good at asking it, questions. They're very good Doing it that. arguably a little bit better than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but on your, on your topic of like allyship and like people like not wanting to call themselves allies because they haven't like addressed things. Like, I think people need to realize that allies don't have to be perfect. Mm. Like you don't have to go through this whole journey and then become an ally. Like you can have all these internalized biases and thoughts and things and still push back, Mm. right? You can be like, I know I still have a lot to do. Like I have a lot to do. Like me as Becca. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to be perfect to push back and like, stand up for and like use your privilege right Mm -hmm. and like I think people are hesitant to start like and we talk about allyship isn't a badge of honor and like you know all that kind of stuff when people self-identify but like yeah you you can at the very beginning of your journey start to behave as an ally Mm -hmm. absolutely and Mm -hmm. I think a large part of that is realizing what an ally is and a lot of people don't get it because as soon as you say the word sexuality people automatically go to oh gay stuff well folks straight is in fact a sexuality um you know cisgendered is in fact a gender identity so um inherently you fall under the rainbow flag regardless of what your identity is because it's encompassing of all sexuality and gender identity and that's the whole point is that everyone is equal under the rainbow so straight people cis people yes you do fall under the rainbow flag because cis and straight are in fact identities that are sexuality and gender um it is just inherent in how it works um so i think that pointing that out is one of my favorite ways to kind of get that conversation going um and just kind of be like hey you know like as someone who's straight, you also have aspects of your sexuality to explore here. Um, and it's not exclusive to the gays or to whoever you want to say it's exclusive to. And I think that that is in large part of the problem that people just don't get that. Um, and it's always this like, pushback on oh well it's it's meant to represent the alternatives it's meant to represent what's not mainstream um and that's not the case because like I said we're all equal under the rainbow um and so for that's yeah go ahead Becca that's so interesting no because you and I define it differently so that's really really interesting like perspective to hear because we were just talking like literally right before this meeting we were joking with our boss who is like a straight (laughs) cis dad um and who we joke is our dad um (laughs) because we talk about when we ask people in trainings like what do all the letters mean and people will try to think like the s is straight or the a is ally and we're like no 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 you don't get to be you you don't get to be in the acronym the alphabet moth right like um and we're like terry you get everything else is for you this is for us (laughs) And so we say it as like, it's like you have a home, like anyone who is outside has a home under the rainbow, right? It's for all of those ones who are different. So it's really interesting hearing like somebody say like, no, even them. Well, that just reminds me, I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but there's this one audio. unfortunately. (laughs) Where it's like, uh, you have every letter in the alphabet under their LGBTQRZ. What about C? or Christian, or H, or heterosexual. <laughs> and it's just, that's the funniest thing in the world to me, and that's what that reminds me of. Um, but I mean, like, interesting points to both, because, like, kind of talking about earlier how some people, like, are so desperate to be pressed <laughs> for something. Yeah. And, you know, this audio, like, oh, you guys have this thing that's just for you, and why can't I be a part of it? Let me in, you know? Um, and it's like to your point, Shannon, like we are all human people, you know. On their emails, Shannon has like I, we human, you know, and we are all human people, and so yes, 
in the rainbow, in the alphabet mafia, we are recognizing that there are identities, there are people who have been historically marginalized, historically oppressed, historically invalidated. And so we're giving them space, holding space for them to be honored and validated. But you, cisgender, heterosexual, what have you, you're also human people. <laughs> You know, and so if we're showing acceptance and love for our indigenous, our BIPOC, our LGBTQ, then like, why do you assume that we're not also showing acceptance for you and that we're not loving and accepting of you? And then that comes into the discussion again of tolerance versus acceptance. And then do you think, do you think in the indigenous or the queer communities, what have you, um, is there acceptance to the majority? on the inside of the community? Um, or is the community tolerating of the majority? Like what's the interplay there? Is it two lanes, one way? How does All that play? All these good questions. I, I almost feel like our two views on the rainbow. You know, this is a 45 minute podcast. Right? Well, we I booked an hour, it's fine. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like our two views are almost like one is an evolution of the other of like, mm. sort of my view is like holding space until we get to a point where we can have like Shannon's definition almost, mm. right? Of like, I would love, I want to get there. And it's like points along a journey. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was, I was gonna say. But... <laughs> well, I think you're trying to speak to the importance of allyship there because it yes it is the whole point is to hold space for people who have been marginalized or oppressed and really empower them and lift them up and give voice to their experience and the way we do that is through self-determination by allowing them to give voice to their own experience by allowing them to be experts on their own experience and to give words to those experience and the role of allies when we're doing that is to sorry like <laughs> shut up sit down and be quiet <laughs> Um, so like that in itself is empowering to allow people that space to just give voice to their own experience and to determine what those labels are for themselves. And as our allies sit in the room and kind of listen to that experience, they're also able to give voice to their own experience and relate on different levels. So we had circle one night and we were talking about labels and the role of labels. And one of the labels that came up was tomboy. And what we realized is that every single person sitting in that circle had been called a tomboy at some point in their life. And that included our straight folks and our allies. And it was sort of like a very similar experience because some of us leaned into it and some of us went the opposite direction and went very feminine. Um, and either way, it was sort of this validating experience of okay, so we've all been there and we've all made a choice to either lean into it or rebel against it. Um, and I think just creating that space to have that discussion from a different lens and have those different perspectives mm -hmm. in the room was very powerful because it not only empowered us as queer people to give voice to our experience, but it also made room for our allies and our straight folks in the room to be um, accepted in that space and still give voice to their experiences realizing that oh yeah we are still all human and we all still kind of meet on this same plane we just experience it differently and that's okay and so it was still a really cool productive conversation but it was kind of like okay well let's talk about it from this angle and this angle and see where in the middle we sort of meet and I'm going to take the questioning back from B mm -hmm. and play a little devil's advocate here for a sec. And the actual, okay, I'm not saying devil's advocate in the I'm going to be a dick kind of way. It's <laughs> that I'm going to, we're going to explore this argument more fully. <laughs> but so be your question about yeah. like the role of like tolerance and acceptance mm -hmm. of the marginalized groups for the majority. Um, in my devil's advocate role, I would ask, does it matter mm -hmm. if marginalized groups accept the majority as they are already the power holding default? I love that you <laughs> brought power dynamics into it because that is so crucial. If I think, I think personally that the, the oppressed, the marginalized, we don't have to be accepting because like, I think to a certain degree, um, 
when we're talking about like acceptance or rather like a lack of tolerance, I think there has been historically like an acceptance to a lack of tolerance, you know, accepting of a lack of acceptance in the majority, which is why these issues have been allowed to continue for, I was going to say centuries, but at the very least decades, at the very least a century, you know? Um, so I think that the oppressed, it is revolutionary for us, honestly, to not tolerate <laughs> And not to like not tolerate the majority as in like a eugenics way, let's get rid of the cis het white people. Like, no, 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 no. But we can't tolerate those behaviors. We cannot tolerate the biases, these microaggressions that have been allowed to snowball into uh, trans rights being stripped away in our lovely neighbors, the United States of America. You know, like we, <laughs> yeah, who just gonna leave that there. Um, we as the oppressed cannot tolerate that kind of stuff. And so to answer your question, uh, no, I do not think that we need to accept the majority <laughs> in terms of their problematic behaviors. And then that leads to the paradox of like a tolerant society cannot tolerate intolerance. And so like, yeah, we just can't tolerate that stuff so yeah I think I think the paradox of tolerance will have to wait till the next one um because as Shanna said we are running out of time <laughs> but is there anything else like any final points that you guys wanted to make that you did not get to <laughs> I know there's like this is a huge subject I know like, I know um I think I think just to that very last point there be um you know like you're saying like no we don't always have to accept what I find very interesting is that when there's a feeling that there's a lack of acceptance of that mainstream, all of a sudden the narrative has mm -hmm. been turned back on them and suddenly they experience what we've experienced. And so it almost creates an understanding between those two groups that like, oh, this is what it feels like. But at the same time, also coming back to that, we're all human. We all have a spot in the circle um and and really looking at like yes it plays a role because it creates that understanding but at the same time as people who have experienced that lack of acceptance why would we ever project that onto someone else I absolutely agree and like to that lack of acceptance then like comes an empowerment aspect like how can we move forward with empowerment for our allies for our marginalized people um because like how you were talking with Circle and how uh, that tomboy comment, people had that in common. Um, and so I think like to move forward towards acceptance, to pass tolerance towards acceptance is coming to these conversations with an open mind and an open heart and listening to the lived experiences of these people and validating those lived experiences and considering how fortunate you are that you maybe don't have to live through those experiences and how you can use that privilege, that fortune that you have been born into to help make the lived experiences of these people better. <laughs> you know, And I think that's very empowering for the ally to reflect on themselves and look at it themselves from that different perspective and also empowering for the marginalized group to share their experiences, to be validated, to be heard, to be seen, to be understood. Um, yeah, there's a lot of power there. And, you know, it's important to, for me to end on the note of empowerment and uplifting, you know. For sure. And on that kind of Absolutely. uplifting note, we always end our episodes with queer joy. So um, it could be just anything that's happened this week. It could be a piece of media, an interaction, yet, anything like that. My queer joy this week is just having a library card. Um, I went quite a while without having them. Um, and now that we've been like doing groups in the library and making friends with all the staff, um, I've been getting all kinds of book recommendations and stuff. And like, they got me into Libby, which is like a, like a digital kind of library thing. So now I'm back to like, just voraciously consuming audiobooks at all hours. So yeah, that's my queer joy is libraries. Aww. Uh, <laughs> my queer joy is over the weekend, I read, uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is a gay romance. And oh, it was so good. It was so good and so wholesome. And I was crying. I read it in a day. 
oh yeah that was wonderful i highly recommend gay romance so good uh yeah that's my for those who didn't watch the video b was fanning themselves at one point so (laughs) it was good okay you guys it was really good (laughs) it was so wholesome wholesome yeah (laughs) that's why we're fanning ourselves I love it. I love it. I might have to add it to the list. How about you, Shannon? (laughs) Uh, My queer joy. I actually have a really good one and I'm going to be my authentic self here for a minute. So I coach minor hockey and I coach U11s. So it's very um, chaotic to say the least. Um, But we were in playoffs this weekend. And the last time that we had played this team, one of my players got called a faggot. And so in response to this, what we did was the entire team came together and taped their sticks with pride tape. And I got my little soapbox moment where I got to wear my love wins shirt um, and be very gay on the bench. And I gave this speech before the game. And I said to them, I said, and even if they were gay, does it impact their ability to be a good teammate? And the entire team in unison yells, no, no. And I'm like, does it impact their ability to play good hockey? And the entire team again in unison, no. And if they were on this team and they were queer, would we uplift them and empower them to be exactly who they are and celebrate them for it? And the whole team yelled, yes. And I was so friggin' proud of them. And so that was my queer joy for the week was 15, 11 year olds just being the strongest allies in the room. And it brought me joy. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. (laughs) That made me very happy. Um, yes, thank you for joining me, my two new friends. And thank you to all of our lovely listeners and watchers for joining. Uh, we'll see you next week. Be kind to yourself and others. I did that out of order. Yeah. <laughs>